Well, welcome uh, to Metro. I am so glad that you guys are here. My name is Jeremy. I am one of the pastors, and we are really lucky as a church uh, that we get to leverage technology where we are one church with two locations, and so uh, we have tons of people that gather at our video campus and on- online every week, and so if that is you, uh, we welcome you. We are fired up that you are here. Aren't we, Metro? Come on. And so we have been in this series called Old School, and it's our journey through the Old Testament part of the Bible. And what's funny about this is that a lot of people react in different sort of ways, and a lot of people would say, uh, how ridiculous. I mean, I want you to think about this. We have spent, as a modern people, we have spent the last 10 weeks looking at words that were written over 2,600 years ago, and a lot of people would say, what a waste of time. How irrelevant. Just how uncool is that? Uh, Well, my hope uh, is that you have been experiencing a little bit of what I've been experiencing, Uh, that these words are far from being irrelevant, but they are real and they are raw and that they are for us today. Y'all with me so far? They are with us today. They are for us today. And it's my hope uh, that even if you are not kind of like the Bible type, as you come into here, you might be going, I'm not sure about all this, but my hope is, is that as you leave today and this series, that, that you will feel that there might be just a little bit more to this God thing than you have previously thought. I hope that your heart is open to more. So y'all, y'all with me on this? Can, can we move forward together? Uh, and so uh, we have been studying the life and the words of a man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah had an interesting call, a unique call from God, and uh, his job was to be a prophet. And a prophet's job is to listen for the voice of God, to sense God's leadership, and then go where God tells him to, and to do what God tells him to do, and to say what God tells him to say. And uh, I don't know about you, but as we kind of wrap up our series on Jeremiah, I am sad. I think I got a little bit of a man crush on this guy or something. I don't know. Uh, but, but I have really come to love and admire this man. Uh, I have learned so much from this man. I have learned um, what it means to have faith when everything in me wants to give up on my faith. I have learned uh, what it means to persevere when life gets hard. I have learned to, to be obedient and what it means to be obedient when when it's scary to be obedient. I've learned what it means to trust God and to take next steps with God, even though everything in me says, just stay comfortable, stay where I'm at. I'm okay the way that I am. Uh, Jeremiah has stretched my soul, and I hope that he has stretched your soul with what we've learned together. Amen? Amen. So here's where I would like to start, if it's okay with you. And I know this is a little bit weird. We don't do this very often. Uh, But I just feel as we kind of wrap up this series uh, today at both of our campuses, I would love for you to do something a little risky. I would love for you to get out of your seat and to get on your knees before God. Now, whether you believe or don't believe, whether you're new to church or or been around church forever, um, but just together, could we do something. I know it's a little bit scary, but could we just get on our knees before God? Just do this for me. Just, just humbly before God. And I want you to look at me for a moment. The, the reason we, we do this from time to time is not so that we would bow before a man or to just show some sort of religious symbol, but we do this to, to, to tell our souls something. Um, to, to rearrange our soul, to, to, make, to remind us that we are not God, 
but he is God. It is to be humble before God. It is to put ourselves in a position, not to hear from man, but to open our hearts and to hear from God himself. To say to God, we need to hear from you today in this place. That we're not so smart and so modern and so cool that we, that we can live without the presence of our creator. And so if it's okay with you, I would just, no matter if you believe or not, let me just invite God uh, to speak to us today, okay? Let's pray. So Father in heaven, uh, just with quiet and humble hearts, uh, we, we bow before you. And, and I know everything in this world says that that is silly, that, is, it, that it's just stupid to do such things. But, but God, we don't think so. I don't think so. I, I pray, God, today in this very space that you would speak into our lives. God, that you would shift our hearts to hear from you. God, that we, we quiet the busyness of our life down just for a moment or two so that, that your spirit can speak into our, our souls. And so, God, we say to you what we've said a hundred times. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. And together we say... Amen. Amen. All right. You guys ready to go? Okay. Are you guys ready to go? All right. Uh, so as we think about what we talked about over the last couple of weeks, last week we got around this idea that fear uh, can work in your favor, right? That there are these warning signs that come into our life and it's like a red flare that goes up. It's like a, a bomb drop and saying, hey, if you don't change something, if you don't move in a different direction, this will not and well, for you, fear can be an, an incredible motivator. Fear can be an incredible catalyst uh, for, for change, right? Um, and every once in a while, I think God gives us these little signs, these little warning signs that says something's not right. Something has to move. Something has to shift inside of who we are. Uh, it, it's like when you know a couple that you know, maybe you've known for many, many years, and uh, you hear, like, they're going through a divorce. And, you're, and you, your reaction, if you're like me, you go, wait, wait, wait. Not, not, not the Joneses. Not the Smiths. I can't believe, I can't believe. We used to go to church with them. We did life group with them. We, we, we did life with them. I coached the kids' soccer team with them. It can't be them, right? But it's every once in a while you, you get this little sign from God that says, you better check yourself. You better realize that trouble is just around the corner, that it's just around the bend, and it can come your way as well. As a matter of fact, you know, think about this idea of marriage for a second. Uh, do you know what you have to do in order to ruin a perfectly good marriage? Anybody in the room? I'll tell you what you have to do. Nothing. Zero. Life tends to slide down naturally on its own, Right? And marriage is no different, right? That, that, that you don't have to do anything, that the gravitational pull of life will simply take down something that is very good. What, what, what does a marriage take to make work? It takes hard work. It takes effort. It takes a purposeful draw toward it, right? It takes, it takes investment. It takes something that is purposeful in your life to elevate it, to keep it on track, to make it good. Naturally, things fall apart. And so when you hear of that couple down the road that you have known for a lot of years, and you go, man, they're separated? What is going on, dear Jesus? How can this be? God often uses that as a little sign for you and me in all kinds of areas of life. 
Your friend has a heart attack, you kind of go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's 50, I'm 48. What is going on here? Somebody runs into financial trouble and you go, man, I make what they make. And you have to reevaluate your soul. So fear can, can be your friend. Fear can work in your, in your favor. Fear can literally motivate you for change. And so when we come to uh, this book of Jeremiah, as we begin to wrap this up, um, we, we said that something different was happening with the people of Israel. Remember, it was uh, 604 uh, BC. It was in December of 604 BC. And, uh, and Baruch, the assistant to Jeremiah, uh, goes to the temple. Anybody remember this? He goes to the temple and he starts to read from the scrolls and he starts to read the words that Jeremiah had dictated to him and the people are starting to respond favorably. So you, uh, just to catch you up to speed if you uh, haven't been with us very much, Jeremiah uh, is this prophet from God and God is giving him words for the people of Israel. For 20 years, Jeremiah has been preaching, you better change something. You're, you're not obeying the heart of God. You're, you're not following God. You're doing things that are wrong and sinful that are going to take you out of, of God's favor. And so he was warning them time after time. And, and, and he had been doing this for so long that he had been to the temple so many times that uh, the people were just fed up with it. Remember this, right? And they, they spat on him and they mocked him and they punched him and they beat him mercilessly and, and they arrested him. And, and at this point, um, Jeremiah has been warned, do not return to the temple or your life will be taken from you. You're done. We are done hearing from you. But God gives him words, right? He, he hears from God. He, he just simply cannot do nothing about the, the condition in the heart of the people. And so uh, God speaks to him and says, Jeremiah, I want you to write down everything that you have been preaching to the people for 20 years. And I'm thinking, woo, that's a job. And he doesn't actually write it down. He has his assistant write it down. His name is Baruch. His, Baruch is a scribe. That's his job. He, he literally assembles all of these thoughts. And at the end of it, uh, he, he turns to Baruch and he says, Baruch, go to the temple and read it to the people. It worked out great for me. It'll work out great for you, right? And so he goes to the temple, and uh, he's reading it. But this time the people are reacting a little bit different. This time the people are stopping, and they're listening. Why is that, friends? It's because 50 miles away, the empire of Babylon was camped out in a different kingdom, a kingdom just to the south and to the west of them. And, and, and for 20 years, they had heard uh, this guy named Jeremiah saying, if you don't change, God's going to rise, raise this army from the north and they're going to come down and they're going to crush you in this army, this empire is called Babylon. And they used to say, no, 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 it's so far away. Babylon is so out of reach. It'll never happen to us. It's safe. But now they're looking just around the corner, just around the bend, 50 miles away. The entire stinking army of Babylon is camped out. And they realize it's on their doorstep. Fear can work in your favor. It can motivate you to change. And so now the people are listening to Baruch. And so that was sort of scene one in this little story. And, and we kind of shift a little bit. And all of a sudden, when Baruch is talking, there is this uh, governmental figure. We're not exactly sure his position, but he is sort of high up the deal and maybe like a second tier. He's not like the president. He's not like the king. He's like maybe a congressman or a cabinet member or something like that. But he is in the temple grounds and he sees and he hears this commotion of all the people gathered around and, and they're watching who? 
Baruch, read this stuff. And all the people are gathering in. And so this, this official gathers in close and he's listening and he's listening and listening. And the scripture says all of a sudden he's off. All of a sudden he takes off and he, and he hightails it to, to the palace, uh, to the royal officials. And, and, and he comes with this news to the palace. And so here's uh, what, it, what it says. This is how it reads in, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 36, uh, verse 11. I think you're gonna find this very interesting. It says, when Micah, son of Gemariah, uh, son of Shaphan, heard all of the words the Lord, uh, of the Lord from the scroll that Baruch was reading, right? He went down to the secretary's room in the, in the what? The royal palace where all the officials were sitting. So I want you to think about what's going on here. Uh, Micah hears these words and he's like, uh-oh, this is not good. Something's happening, something's stirring in the hearts of the people. So he goes to the palace and all of the officials are sitting in this room gathered around and he says, guys, listen, guys, listen. There is something big that's going on. There's something that you need to hear. And, and so this is now scene two. Remember last week we said this is one message divided into two parts. This is one story though with three different scenes where the scripture that Jeremiah dictates to Baruch is gonna be read in three different environments. And each environment has a different result. Very interesting. And so this is the second scene. Uh, and, and now uh, we have a desk out here and a stool which represents the assistant's office that this guy runs to where all the officials are gathered. And we did a lot of research. Uh, this is what a 604 BC desk looks like. Right, and so they're in this room and all the important officials are there and he says, you have to hear something. And so this guy drags in Baruch. And so if we could drag in Baruch, we're gonna do this again. Uh, so everybody, welcome Rev Kev here, uh, Baruch. Uh, he did such a fine job last week. Uh, we're bringing him back. And so they're in this room. So Baruch walks into this room and all these high-powered people are in the room. So this is different, isn't it? He is no longer preaching to the people. He's got the insider club here, one step below the king. And so uh, they say to Baruch, this is what they say. This is out of the scripture, chapter 36, verse 15. They say, uh, they said to him, sit down, please read it to us. So Baruch, take a seat. And uh, why don't you read a little bit of what they might have heard that day? <clears throat> Among my people are the wicked who lie in wait, like those who set traps to catch people like cages full of birds. Their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord. Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? P.S., you know what's coming. You suck. And if you don't change, this isn't going to end well for you. And so Baruch reads what he's been reading in the temple. He just kind of picks it up and says, well, it's the same deal. And this goes on and on and on and on. He starts to read the scroll to them. And then it says something very important. Their reaction is, is different than what you might expect. Here's what it says. It says, so Baruch read it to them, verse 16. And when they all heard these words, they looked at each other in what? Fear. fear. Pause for a second. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but fear can work in your favor. 
right? It can motivate a change inside of you. It can cause you to do something different. And so remember, these officials are dealing at the highest levels of the land. Like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Babylon's right down the road. Does anybody realize Babylon is right down the road? Does anybody realize trouble is right down the road? Maybe we should try something different. Then it says this. So they said to Baruch, Baruch, uh, we must report all of these words to the king. How do you think Baruch feels in that moment? Oh, do you really have to do that? Do, do we really have to go that far? I mean, can't we just work it out right here, right? Because why? Every interaction between the king and men of God has gone downhill quick, right? It, it, the king is simply not ready to hear this. Uh, and, and then they say this to him. Uh, they're like, Baruch, uh, your words that you're reading, they, they seem vaguely familiar to us right now. Uh, are you sure this is you or is this coming from a different source? Because they say this in verse 17. They ask Baruch, tell us, how did you come to write all of this? Did Jeremiah dictate it to you? Now you think about what's going on here. How is this guy feeling at this moment? Uh, Jeremiah has written all of this and, and Baruch is like, no, 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 no. I didn't write anything. I'm just the guy who jotted it down. Jeremiah, this is, I'm just doing what I'm paid to do. Why? Because he's afraid of the same beat down that Jeremiah got. And so he, he answers, uh, then uh, they ask him, did, did you dictate this? And so the official said to Baruch, because um, obviously the answer is yes, okay, Jeremiah dictated. Then they say this, you and Jeremiah, you go and hide and don't let anyone know where you are. Now, Baruch, I would suggest getting out of town. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And why... Did they say that? Because they knew that this king was in no position to hear wisdom. He was in no position to have a soft heart before God. That it had never ever gone well when they went in front of the king. And so what we learn is Baruch goes back to Jeremiah and I'm sure Jeremiah's like, well, how did it go? How did it go? And uh, Baruch goes, man, it went great. And Jeremiah's like, what? It went great. He goes, oh yeah, they loved it. And like, Jeremiah's like, What? Every time I went, they beat me up. Every time they went, they smacked me in the head. What, what? PJ, it's all in the delivery, man. Right? I'm just making that up. But listen, um, but this is what happens next. Uh, they say, don't tell anyone. We don't care where you go. We don't care where you hide, but you better hide, you and Jeremiah, because this is not going to end well for you. Uh, the king at this time is a guy named Jehoiakim, right? We talked about him last week. He came to the throne at 25. Now at this time, he is... 30 years old, and he is an absolutely terrible human being. He is a terrible man, uh, unrighteous in every way, uh, an evildoer in every single way. We talked about that last week. And uh, matter of fact, history records an outside story that parallels the story of Jeremiah. It's very interesting. Uh, that there was this man of God, another, let's say, prophet, a, a pastor of some kind that, that God raised up. His name was Uriah. And God gave Uriah the, essentially the same vision as Jeremiah that this is not going to go well if we don't change. And so Uriah gets an audience with the king. And 
Uriah at first reacts like, oh, so glad for the news. Thank you very much. Jehoiakim the king says, thank you very much. Uriah, you're free to go. But it takes about two seconds for Uriah to, or for the king to order uh, an assault against Uriah. And they go, go get that man uh, because he's not going to live any longer. And so Uriah gets wind of this. And just like the guy we talked about last week, he goes into Egypt because they have this alliance with Egypt where people can move back and forth. And so he goes down into Egypt to hide from the king. But the king sends a raiding party into Egypt and he pulls back this man of God and in a public ceremony, slices his throat, slaughters him. Now listen, this was a new level for the king because this was a new low because why? This time this is the man of God. This, these are called the people of Israel being called the people of God. They are supposed to listen to the voice of God, but, but they're not, but they're not. And, and so... The irony uh, to all of this is that God doesn't give up and God keeps coming at them. And the people who were supposed to hear from God, the king that is supposed to be humble and lead his people to God, does the exact opposite. He runs from God. Um, and, and so the, the message is clear. You don't mess with Jehoiakim, the king. Uh, and so he said, they say, you better go and hide and don't tell anybody because the king will torture whoever it takes to get to you. You realize the stakes are that high. Don't tell anyone, anybody. And so now there's another scene change. Uh, they go into the king and they say, king, there is something you need to hear. So if we could uh, have a little scene change, uh, that would be great. This is uh, totally unrehearsed, by the way, and I think these guys are doing great. Uh, and so uh, we're now leaving the office, and we are moving now into the king's royal palace itself. Uh, very interesting. This is the third scene, and here's how this begins. Uh, verse 22, same chapter, 36, it says, It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in his winter apartment with the fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. So it's winter, it's the ninth month uh, in, in the Hebrew calendar, uh, but it's actually December in our calendar. And even in the Middle East, it would be cold. It could frost over at night. It, it, it gets cold. And so uh, the king, uh, like all the kings in the Middle East, they would have different rooms that favor the times of the year. And he was in the wintertime room, which was probably the room that got the most sun and was warmest. And so he's sitting there on one of his royal thrones with this fire pot in front of him. And so he hears uh, from his assistant who comes in and says, hey, we got something that you need to hear. It needs to be brought right to your attention. And so uh, this guy named Jehuda, Jehudai, I think they pronounce it, uh, they, he comes in and he says, we have a scroll from Barak and from your favorite guy, Jeremiah. And, uh, and the king says, I'd like to have it read. And so uh, we don't have uh, Jehuda, by what, what we do have is Rev Kev. And so uh, you're going to play a new part. And this time uh, he is uh, now standing before the king. He is one of the assistants to the king. Uh, he is part of the royalty of uh, Israel at this point. And uh, the king uh, takes a position on the throne. And he says, uh, so tell me what you got. <clears throat> Among my people are the wicked who lie and wait, like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch people. 
carry on. I got more. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. Came prepared. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord. Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? P.S. You suck. And this is not going to end well for you. Now get out before I slice something else, okay? So... How how do you think the reading of Jeremiah goes with the king? Awful. Because here's what it says. It says, when uh, Juhida um, had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king would cut them off with the scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot, right? Until the entire scroll was burned up. And so you see this over and over and over. He's like, I don't like that part either. I don't like that part either. I don't like that part either. And he just keeps what? Burning it. This is the word of God to them. And the king is supposed to hear from God and lead his people. Here's what happens next. It says, the king and all his attendants who heard these words showed what? Come on, showed no fear. Have have you ever heard that fear can work in your favor? But they would not listen. They showed no fear of God. No fear of judgment. No fear of retribution. None. As a matter of fact, it says they did not tear their clothing, which is when you, in ancient history, when they would tear their clothing, it was a sign of repentance. Like, God, I've screwed up. God, I'm hurting God. I need to be open and bare before you. And so they would rip their clothing before God. And they would not do that. They would not turn. They would not repent. It says, even though El Nathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not, what is this word? Listen, Listen to them. So Jehoiakim, Kim was uh, 30 years old. He had all the power, but no wisdom. He had all the power, but no humility to go along with it. And as he hears this uh, reading of Jeremiah, he is more than familiar with Jeremiah's words. This has been going on for years now. And finally, this has come right into his throne room and he's had enough. And and listen, he's not dumb. He knows right down the road is Babylon. He's heard the prophecies from Jeremiah that Babylon is coming and they're coming your way. It's just around the corner. And if you don't change something, it will not end well for you. And yet he refuses to what? Listen. Listen. He's like, I don't care. Now, we would never say that to God. But he does. Or would we say it to God? We know full well what God is telling us. And we say, I don't care. I mean, because they come to the king and they're like, don't do that, don't do that, don't burn that, don't, don't, don't. Don't you know that those are the words of Jeremiah, the prophet of God? I don't care. Don't you know that that God speaks through Jeremiah? These are the words of the Lord. I don't care. 
no, 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 no. Don't you realize that the words that Jeremiah has been speaking to our people for 20 years about Babylon, they're coming true. They're just down the road. I don't care. I am the king. God says, you're the king of what? You're not the king of anything. You're only where you're at because I put you there. So the question is, is how does somebody get that way? How, how, how do you and I get this way where, where we don't care what God says? How, how do we get to the point where we look at God and we say, I know what's better for me? So how does the king get this way where he says, I don't care? Um, there is this little verse of scripture. It's a really short verse. And we're just going to go forward 600 years in history. We're going to go just past the time of Jesus. We're leaving uh, the time of Jeremiah. We're going to go just past the time of Jesus to the early church. There, there were a bunch of Christians, like some of us in this room. Some of us are Christians in this room. I, I think a lot of us are Christians in this room. And they had gathered together and they were trying to figure out how to take their next steps of faith. And they were struggling with hearing from God and sensing God's leadership in a world that did not want God's leadership, much like, I think, much like we struggle through now. And, and so um, the writers of Scripture, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there is this little tiny verse that comes out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 7. And it simply says this, Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your heart. Let me read that again. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. As a matter of fact, why don't, why don't you help me at both of our campuses? I'll say the first part. You just kind of tack on the second part. Maybe you just say it from the screen or maybe from memory. It, it, it's very simple. Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your heart. Make sure your heart is soft before God. Uh, make, make sure that you listen and that you respond and that you don't turn away. Um, so, so, friends, where does this hardness of heart come from? I mean, how does this get like this in our own lives? How, how come I get hard before God? How come? How come I turn away from God when, when, when everything is supposed to be going toward him? What calluses our souls before God? So this, this may apply to you, I, I don't know, uh, but I just want to give you a few thoughts about what hardens our hearts before God. Uh, and and I, I think all these apply to me. Uh, and I don't know if they're going to apply to you, but every single one of these is, is about me. And this is what happens to us. I think one of the first things that, that hardens our soul before God is our sin. Good, old-fashioned sin. So let, let me explain this a little bit. Like, you, you, anybody in the room ever lie about anything? Any, anybody? If you're not raising your hand, you're probably a liar. But, uh, so, listen. Uh, you lie once, and then you lie again, and then you lie again to cover the first couple lies, and then it is a chasing of the tail, isn't it? Come on. 
It's one thing after another, after another, one lie after another to feed the last lie that fed the last lie that fed the last lie. And you create a whole new image of truth, right? And the reason this separates you from God, because one day you wake up and listen, you are broken in your relationships and you're going, what happened? What happened? Well, you are a liar and truth separates relationships. Why? Because God is true. God is truth. And the reason we tell the truth is because God is true. That's why we tell the truth. That's why we value truth. And our relationship with God is dependent upon us knowing that he is true. Does that make sense? And so, and so when we lie, we, we separate our hearts from God. And we grow cold to God. Eventually we go, I gotta lie. I gotta lie. And you know what happens is one day you wake up and you no longer hear the voice of God. Anger is another thing. The, 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 you know, you start blowing up at people and you just start reacting strongly to people and people around you think you're crazy, but you think you're normal. Everybody around you is starting to walk on eggshells because you're just so volatile all the time. And we think it's, I'm right, I'm, I'm the man and I'm the woman and you shouldn't mess with me because I'll tell you what to do. And the reason we don't live like that is because we do not tell God what to do. Because if we act like that toward others, we will act that way toward God. And we say, God, don't you tell me anything. And we act like we are in authority. And it separates you from God and you no longer hear God. It is sin. We've been saying around here for a long, long time that nothing takes you further, farther from the heart of God faster than sexual immorality. Nothing. And we keep feeding that crap into our life. We keep feeding it into our soul. And all of a sudden, we cannot even look at a woman the way God wants us to look at a woman. Or a man, the way God wants you to look at a man. We no longer value marriage like God values marriage. We no longer value the divine sexuality that God has put inside of us anymore. It is so diluted and so perverted and so broken in every single way. Nothing takes you farther, faster from the heart of God than sexual sin. Nothing. And yet we keep doing it and one day we wake up and we go, where are you, God? It is because we no longer value purity in our relationship. And we cannot have a relationship with a God who is pure and holy. And so sin, when repeated over and over and over and over, results in a hard heart. But help me with this. Today, if you hear his voice, come on, do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, don't turn. Don't keep thinking you got it all together. When he speaks, you need a soft heart because fear, listen to me, fear is not enough to change. Fear can motivate change. Fear can move you towards something new. But it takes something more. Listen to me, it takes something more to change. It takes a soft heart. And there's another thing that uh, I, I think that hardens our heart and it's this old-fashioned thing called the hurt. I think when we're hurt over and over and over and over again in life, we eventually harden our heart toward people, right? We're betrayed by people. We're let down by people. We're, we're, we're ripped off by people. We're broken through other people, right? Does that make sense, anybody? And so what do we do? We talked about this a few weeks ago. We had this quote from Brene Brown, I think is her name. And she says, uh, she says, if you numb yourself to the hurts of life, you're gonna numb yourself to all of the joys of life. And we try to selectively numb our emotions, but we don't because of our hurt. We, we pull back from life and we no longer engage life. We no longer engage joy and happiness and peace and all the things that God wants for, for us and from us. 
And so because we're hurt over and over again, we cannot have this kind of right relationship with God because God is a healer God. God does not want us to stay broken. God wants us to be healed. And unless we keep a soft heart to let God heal our brokenness, we will end up hard in our life. And we think we're better alone. We, we think we're better angry. We think we're better bitter. And we are not better. So help me with this. Today, if you hear his voice, come on. Yeah. Yeah, do not harden your heart. I, I think there's another thing uh, that gets us hardened in our, in our heart, calluses our soul. And it's this, it, this, it's this word called exposure. Exposure. And this can be a good thing. The problem with so many of us, even in this very room, is that we've heard the stories over and over and over and over again. And you hear the stories of the great deliverer named Moses, and you hear the story of the fire of God coming down through the prophet Elijah, and, and you hear uh, the story of a conversion of a man named Paul and, and, and what God did through him, and you hear the stories of a man named Peter walking on water, and you hear the story of Jesus uh, uh, and the good Samaritan, and you hear the story of the prodigal son coming home, and you hear it so much that your exposure is so much that you no longer breathe life from life-giving stories. And they're just words to you. And you come into church like this, like you have all of your life. You started in Sunday school. You heard it in Sunday school. Then you hear it in adult church. You heard it in youth group. You, you heard it at church camp. You heard it at church college. Wherever you go, you hear it, you hear it, you hear it. And eventually you go, it's just yada, 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 more words. Let's win his lunch. And the constant exposure of what was meant to be life-giving, it's just words to you. And you harden your heart even when you come into these walls, instead of being open to what God has to say to you, I see it, man. I, I mean, you, you're like, oh, he's 12 minutes too long. I'm so tired of this. Right? And eventually we check out emotionally, then we check out physically. Um, this exposure idea is like something that Lynette and I are really afraid of with our kids. You know, we have four kids, and uh, they're PKs. You know what a PK is? Preacher's kid, <laughs> and they're the worst. Uh, and I'm telling you, listen, the problem is, is my kids have grown up bathed in this. They've lived every day of their life in church. And we are afraid that because of the constant exposure, that it will be just words to them instead of the power of God to save them. Um, and this exposure thing, it works on the negative as well, and it's for them, really for them, but a lot of you as well, because you've been around church life enough, and you've been exposed to enough church life where you've seen enough brokenness and hypocrisy within church people who are supposed to love one another and care about each other and treat each other right. And my kids have seen their daddy and their mommy who are trying to love God and trying to build a church and they have seen the church people run right over us. And that kind of exposure pulls them from the gospel. And you have seen people and you have seen people treat each other so poorly in church. You're like, if this is what church people are like, I'd rather go live with the devil. And so exposure can harden your heart. Let me just say this again. Maybe you could help me out. Today, if you hear his voice, let me hear you at both campuses. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. So, 
Jeremiah receives these words. Him and Baruch, they type them all up. And they go to the temple, preach to the people. He goes, and the people kind of start going, oh, wow, we should listen to this. And they move to that second tier in this little room. And they're like, wow, we need to bring this to the king. This could change everything. And they bring it to the king. And on behalf of the people, it's utterly rejected. And he ends up burning it in the pot, right? Listen to what happens next. This is amazing. Um, Just because the king cuts up the scroll and says, I've had enough of this, do you think God is done? Who is the one who says, I'm done? God says, I'm done. When you're ready to cut it up and walk away, God's like, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Reckless love. I'm chasing you down. I'm not giving up on you. This was amazing. This is, this is amazing. Verse 27, same chapter. It says, after the king burned the scroll containing the words of Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah again. No reaction at all? I'm like going, whoa, give me more, Jeremiah. Just keep it coming because God is not done. God says, you, the king, you think you're done, but I am not done. I have the last word. And so Jeremiah thinks, well, we tried. We did our best. It's all gone. Everything I worked for the last 20 years burned up in the flame. Jeremiah, start over. Start over. And if I was Jeremiah, I'd be like, did you put that in the iCloud? Didn't you get a hard drive or anything and back that sucker up? Start over, Jeremiah. And listen to this. This time, Jeremiah, I want you to start over. I want you to write it all down, but this is what I want you to do different this time. This is amazing. He says, uh, but this time, write down in all the words that were written on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim burned up. Also, this time around, tell Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. This is trouble coming, right? You burned the scroll and said, why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and wipe from it both man and the beast? Therefore, this is what the Lord God says to you, punk king Jehoiakim. I added that part. Uh, King over Judah. Uh, He will have no one sit on the throne of David. In other words, it's over. It's over for you. Listen, he says, his body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and, his, and their attendants uh, for, for uh, their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in the land of Judah, uh, Jer- Jerusalem and the people uh, surrounding it in Judah every disaster that I pronounce through who? Jeremiah, right? Against them per- because they have not what? Their hearts were hard. Their hearts were hard. Can, can I just tell you real quickly what happens with Jehoiakim, the king? It's amazing. Um, now, remember, Babylon's camped 50 miles out of town. And word leaks out that Jehoiakim, the king, is brash and arrogant, and he ain't going to bow to Babylon. How do you think King Nebuchadnezzar, who just took over the pharaoh, took over the Assyrian empire, uh, how do you think he's going to feel about that? Come on. He's like, oh, yeah? Really? So what's interesting, history says that... Uh, the Babylonian Empire essentially moved most of their troops south because they wanted to crush the rest of Egypt. But they sent a contingent over to Jerusalem to show them what was up. And all of a sudden now this 
this contingent from Babylon is outside the gates of Jerusalem. And how do you think the people are feeling? Uh-oh, maybe this Jeremiah guy was right. Because now they're standing outside the gates, right? And so what's interesting is it says that Jeremiah's prophecy was that Jehoiakim, the king, would not have heirs, that he would die, right? And that he would have no one sit on the throne, that his body would be thrown out and it would be heat of the day and the frost of the night. Anybody remember this? We just read it, right? Well, what the people do is they assassinate their own king. Why? To preserve their own people, right? They're like, he doesn't speak for us anymore. And so they kill him. And literally, they take him up onto a rampart and they throw him over the wall, plop down in front of the Babylonians. And what were they saying? We'll listen. We're fine. We're fine. And this buys the people of Israel about 15 more years. And they start paying taxes. But eventually, another king comes along who thinks he knows better than God. And eventually, King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C., comes and utterly destroys the entirety of the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, the capital. It does not end well. All because they would not listen. It takes something more than fear to change. It takes a soft heart that says, whatever you want from me, God, I'm tired of arguing with you. I'm tired of laying my head down at night and having it pound in my head. Your voice is screaming at me. The garbage of my life is laid bare. And I'm tired of saying, I know what is best. My hope is, as we wrap up Jeremiah together, um, that if we could get one message from this, that our hearts have to be soft to hear the voice of God in our life. And then we respond to it. We move toward it. We, we say, God, yes to your ways. Yes to your word. I've had enough of leading myself. I've had enough of doing it my own way. God, I will submit my life to your authority. Have a soft heart. Have a soft heart. 